Gentlemen, Gentlemen Spaceman! The Doomsday Robot, Episode 4. Must protect Tecla City, can't stop. Must protect city, want to stop, can't stop. Please assist. Transistor Digital Operations Robot must protect. Interrupting the out-of-control operations robot, Dirk Danger calls out wondering, what is the robot protecting the city from? Find out next time on... Gentlemen Spaceman! Hello, and welcome back to Gentlemen Spaceman's Atomic Hideout. Each episode, we explore classic sci-fi from the atomic age and beyond. I'm your host, Brad Grahowski. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit thevoiceofbrad.com. If you are enjoying the Atomic Hideout, that makes us happy. All we'd ask in return is that you consider subscribing and leave a review wherever it is that you enjoy listening to podcasts. It'll take you just a moment and really helps us out. This episode, we return to Stand By for Mars by Carrie Rockwell. In Series 1, we heard Chapters 1 and 2 of this Tom Corbett Space Cadet adventure. Today, we'll check in on our Space Cadet friends Tom, Astro, and Roger in Chapters 3 and 4. Let's go to Space Academy, shall we? Stand By for Mars Written by Carrie Rockwell Chapter 3 Ah, I just can't understand it, Joan, said Captain Steve Strong, tossing the paper on his circular desk. The psychographs of Corbett, Manning, and Astro fit together like gears. And yet... The Solar Guard officer suddenly rose and walked over to a huge window that filled the entire north wall of his office. A solid sheet of glass that extended from the high domed ceiling to the translucent flooring. Through the window, he stared down moodily toward the grassy quadrangle, where at the moment, several hundred cadets were marching in formation under a hot sun. And yet, continued Strong, every morning for the last three weeks, I've got a report from McKenney about some sort of friction between them. I think it'll work out, Steve, answered the pretty girl in the uniform of the Solar Guard, seated in an easy chair on the other side of the desk. Joan Dale held the distinction of being the first woman ever admitted into the Solar Guard, in a capacity other than administrative work. Her experiments in atomic fissionables was the subject of a recent scientific symposium held on Mars. Over 50 of the leading scientists of the Solar Alliance had gathered to study her latest theory on hyperdrive, and had unanimously declared her ideas valid. She had been offered the chair as Master of Physics at the Academy as a result, giving her access to the finest laboratory in the Triplanet Society. Now facing the problem of personality adjustment in Unit 42D, she sat across the desk from her childhood friend, Steve Strong, and frowned. What's happened this time? Manning, he paused. It seems to be all Manning. You mean he's the more aggressive of the three? No, not necessarily. Corbett shows signs of being a number one spaceman, and that big cadet Astro. Strong flashed a white smile that contrasted with his deep space tan. I don't think he could make a manual mistake on the power deck if he tried. You know, I actually saw him put an auxiliary rocket motor together blindfolded. 
the pretty scientist smiled. I could have told you that after one look at his classification tests. How? On questions concerning the power deck operations, he was letter perfect. And on the others? Astrogation and control deck? He just skimmed by. But even where the problem involved fuel, power, supply of energy, he offered some very practical answers to the problem. She smiled. Astro is as much an artist on that power deck as Liddy Tamal doing Juliet in the stereos. Yes, mused Strong. And Corbett is the same on the control deck. Good instinctive intelligence. That boy soaks up knowledge like a sponge. Facile mind, quick to grasp the essentials. She smiled again. Seems to me I remember a few years back when a young lieutenant successfully put down a mutiny in space, and at his promotion to captain, the citation included the fact that he was quick to grasp the essentials. Strong grinned sheepishly. A routine flight to Titan had misfired into open rebellion by the crew, using a trick picked up in the ancient history books of sea-roving pirates in the 17th century. He had joined the mutiny, gained control of the ship, sought out the ringleaders, and restored discipline. And Manning, asked Strong, what about Manning? One of the hardest, brightest minds I've come across in the academy. He has a brain like a steel trap. He never misses. Hmm. Then, do you think he's acting up because Corbett is the nominal head of the unit? Does he feel that he should be the command cadet in the control deck instead of Corbett? No, replied Dr. Dale. Not at all. I'm sure he intentionally missed problems about control deck and command in his classification test. He concentrated on astrogation, communications, and signal radar. He wanted to be assigned to the radar deck, and he turned in the best paper I've ever read from a cadet to get the post. Strong threw up his hands. Uh, then what is it? Here we have a unit, on paper at least, that could be number one. A good combination of brains, experience, and knowledge. Everything that's needed. And what is the result? Friction. Suddenly, a buzzer sounded, and on Steve Strong's desk, a small teleceiver screen glowed into life. Gradually, the stern face of Commander Walters emerged. Sorry to disturb you, Steve. Can you spare me a minute? Uh, of course, Commander, replied Strong. Is anything wrong? Very wrong, Steve. I've been looking over the daily performance reports on Unit 42D. Yeah, Dr. Dale and I have just been discussing that situation, sir. A relieved expression passed over the commander's face. Good. I wanted to get your opinions before I broke up the unit. No, sir, said Strong quickly. Don't do that. Oh, replied the commander. On the screen, he could be seen settling back into his chair. And why not? Well, Joan, or, or Dr. Dale and myself feel that the boys of Unit 42D make it potentially the best in the academy, if they stay together, sir. Walters considered this for a moment, and then asked thoughtfully, mm, Give me one good reason why the unit shouldn't be washed out. The academy needs boys like this, sir, Steve answered flatly. Needs their intelligence, their experience. They may be a problem now, but if they're handled right, they'll turn out to be a spaceman, they'll... The commander interrupted. You're pretty sold on them, aren't you, Steve? Yes, sir, I am. You know, tomorrow all the units will be assigned to their personal instructors. Yes, sir, and I've selected Lieutenant Walchek for this unit. He's tough and smart, 
I think he's just the man for the job. Mm, I don't agree, Steve. Wolchek is a fine officer, and with any other unit, there'd be no question. But I think we have a better man for the job. Whom do you suggest, sir? The commander leaned forward in his chair. You, Steve. Me? What do you think, Joan? I wanted to make the same suggestion, Commander, smiled Joan. But I didn't know if Steve really would want the assignment. Well, what about it, Steve? asked the commander. This is no reflection on your present work, but if you're so convinced that 42D is worth the trouble, then take them over and mold them into spacemen. Otherwise, I'll have to wash them out. Strong hesitated a moment. All right, sir. I'll do my best. On the screen, the stern lines of Commander Walter's face relaxed, and he smiled approvingly. Thanks, Steve, he said softly. I was hoping you'd say that. Keep me posted. The screen blacked out abruptly, and Captain Strong turned to Joan Dale, a troubled frown wrinkling his brow. Huh, I really walked into that one, didn't I? he muttered. It isn't going to be easy, Steve, she replied. Easy? <laughs> he snorted and walked over to the window to stare blankly at the quadrangle below. Uh, I'd almost rather try a landing on the hot side of Mercury. It'd be icy compared to this situation. You can do it, Steve. I know you can. Joan moved to his side to place a reassuring hand on his arm. The Solar Guard officer didn't answer immediately. He kept on staring at the academy grounds and buildings spread out before him. When he finally spoke, his voice rang with determination. I've got to do it, Joan. I've got to whip those boys into a unit, not only for their sakes, but for the sake of the academy. Chapter 4 The first three weeks of an earthworm's life at Space Academy are filled with never-ending physical training and conditioning to meet the rigors of rocket flight and life on distant planets. And under the grueling pressure of 14-hour days, filled with backbreaking exercises and long forced marches, very few of the boys can find anything more desirable than sleep. And more sleep. Under this pressure, the friction in Unit 42D became greater and greater. Roger and Astro continually needled each other with insults, and Tom gradually slipped into the role of arbiter. Returning from a difficult afternoon of endless marching in the hot sun, with the prospect of an evening of free-fall wrestling before them, the three cadets dragged themselves wearily onto the slide stairs leading to their quarters, their muscles screaming for rest. Another day like this! began Astro listlessly, and I'm going to melt down to nothing. Doesn't McKenny have a heart? No, just an asteroid, Tom grumbled. He'll never know how close he came to getting a space boot in the face when he woke us up this morning. Oh, man, was I tired. Stop complaining, will you? snarled Roger. All I've heard from you two space crawlers is gripes and complaints. If I wasn't so tired, Roger, said Astro, I'd give you something to gripe about, a flat lip. Knock it off, Astro, said Tom wearily. The role of keeping them apart was getting tiresome. The trouble with you, Astro, pursued Roger, is that you think with your muscles instead of your head. Yeah, I know, 
and you've got an electronic calculator for a brain, all you have to do is push a button and you get the answers all laid out for you. They had reached their quarters now and were stripping off their sweat-soaked uniforms in preparation for a cool shower. You know, Roger, continued Astro, you've got a real problem ahead of you. Any problem you think I have is no problem at all, was the cool reply. Yes, it is, insisted Astro. When you're ready for your first hop in space, you won't be able to make it. Why not? They don't have a space helmet in the academy large enough to fit that overinflated head of yours. Roger turned slowly and spoke to Tom without looking at him. Close the door, Corbett. Why? asked Tom, puzzled. Because I don't want any interruptions. I'm going to take that big hunk of Venusian space junk apart. Anything you say, you big-mouthed squirt, roared Astro. Hey, knock it off! yelled Tom, jumping between them and grabbing Astro's arm. If you guys don't lay off each other, you're going to be thrown out of the academy, and I'll be thrown out with you. I'll be blasted if I'll suffer for your mistakes. That's a very interesting statement, Corbett. A deep voice purred from the doorway, and the three boys whirled to see Captain Strong walk into the room, his black and gold uniform fitting snugly across the shoulders, betraying their latent strength. Stand to, all of you. As the boys quickly snapped to attention, Strong eyed them slowly, and then moved casually around the room. He picked up a book, looked out of the window port, pushed a boot to one side, and finally removed Tom's sweat-stained uniform from a chair and sat down. The cadets held their rigid poses, back stiff, eyes looking straight ahead. Corbett, snapped Strong. Yes, sir. What was the meaning of that little speech I heard a moment ago? I, uh, don't quite understand what you mean, sir, stumbled Tom. Hmm, I think you do, said Strong. I want to know what provoked you to make such a statement. I'd rather not answer that, sir. Don't get cute, Corbett, barked Strong. I know what's going on in this unit. We're manning an astro squaring off to fight? Yes, sir replied Tom slowly. All right, at ease, all of you, said Strong. The three boys relaxed and faced the officer. Manning, do you want to be a successful cadet here at Space Academy? Yes, sir, answered Roger. Then why don't you act like it? asked Strong. Is there something wrong with my work, sir? Tom recognized the smooth Manning confidence begin to appear, and he wondered if Captain Strong would be taken in. Everything's wrong with your work, barked Strong. You're too smart, no too much. He stopped short and then added softly with biting sarcasm. Why do you know so much, Cadet Manning? Roger hesitated. I've studied very hard, studied for years to become a space cadet, he replied. Just to be a cadet or a successful cadet and a solar guard officer? To be successful at both, sir. Tell me, Manning, do you have any ideas on life? That's a pretty general question, sir. Do you mean life as a whole or a specific part of life? They're fencing with each other, thought Tom. He held his breath as Strong eyed the relaxed, confident cadet. A spaceman is supposed to have but one idea in life, Manning, and that idea is space. I see, sir, replied Roger as a faraway look came into his eyes. 
Yes, sir. I have some ideas about life in space. Well, I'd like to hear them, requested Strong coldly. Oh, very well, sir. Roger relaxed his shoulders and leaned against the bunk. I believe space is the last frontier of man, Earth man. It's the last place for man to conquer. It is the greatest adventure of all time, and I want to be a part of that adventure. Thank you, Manning. Strong's voice was even colder than before. But as it happens, I can read too. That was a direct quote from the closing paragraph on John Bilker's book on his trip to the stars. He paused. Couldn't you think of anything original to say? Roger flushed and gritted his teeth. Tom could hardly keep himself from laughing. Captain Strong had scored heavily. The Solar Guard officer then turned his attention to Astro. Astro, where in the name of the universe did you get the idea you could be an officer in the Solar Guard? I can handle anything with push in it, sir, Astro smiled his confidence. Know anything about hyperdrive? Uh, no, sir. Then you can't handle everything with, as you say, push in it, snapped Strong. Er, uh, no, sir, answered Astro, his face clouding over. There was a moment of silence while Astro lifted one knee, swung it over the arm of his chair, and looked steadily at the two half-naked boys in front of him. He smiled lazily. Well, for two earthworms, you've certainly been acting like a couple of space aces. He let that soak in while he toyed with a gleaming academy ring on his finger. He allowed it to flash in the light of the window port, then slipped it off and flipped it over to Corbett. Know what that is? he asked the curly-haired cadet. Yes, sir, replied Tom. Your academy graduation ring. Uh-huh. Now give it to our friend from Venus. Tom gingerly handed Astro the ring. Try it on, Astro, invited Strong. The big cadet tried it on all of his fingers, but couldn't get it past the first joint. Give it to Manning. Roger accepted the ring and held it on the palm of his hand. He looked at it with a hard stare, then dropped it in the outstretched hand of the Solar Guard officer. Replacing it on his finger, Strong spoke casually. All units design their own rings. There are only three like this in the universe. One is drifting around in space on the finger of Sam Jones. Another is blasting a trail to the stars on the finger of Addy Garcia. He held up his finger. This is the third one. Strong got up and began to pace in front of the boys. Addy Garcia couldn't speak a word of English when he first came to the academy. And for eight weeks, Sam and I sweated to figure out what he was talking about. I think we spent over a hundred hours in the galley doing KP because Addy kept getting us fouled up. But that didn't bother us because we were a unit. Unit 33V, class of 2338. Strong turned to face the silent cadets. Sam Jones was pretty much like you, Astro. Not as big, but with the same love for that power deck. He could always squeeze a few extra pounds of thrust out of those rockets. What he knew about astrogation and control, you could stick on the head of a pin. On long flights, he wouldn't even come up to the control deck. He just sat in the power hole singing loud, corny songs about the Arkansas Mountains to those atomic motors. He was a real power deck man, but he was a unit man first. The only reason I'm here to tell you about it is because he never forgot the unit. He died saving Addie and myself. 
the room was still. Down the long hall, the lively chatter of other cadets could be heard as they showered and prepared for dinner. In the distance, the rumble of the slide walks and test firing of rockets at the spaceport was dim, subdued, powerful. The unit is the backbone of the academy, continued Strong. It was set up to develop three men to handle a Solar Guard rocket cruiser. Three men who could be taught to think, feel, and act as one intelligent brain. Three men who would respect each other and who could depend on each other. Tomorrow, you begin your real education. You will be supervised and instructed personally. Many men have contributed to the knowledge that will be placed in front of you. Brave, intelligent men who blasted through the atmosphere with a piece of metal under them for a spaceship and a fire in their tail for rockets. But everything they accomplish goes to waste if the unit can't become a single personality. It must be a single personality or it doesn't exist. The unit is the ultimate of hundreds of years of research and progress. But you have to fight to create it and keep it living. Either you want it or you get out of the academy. Captain Strong turned away momentarily and Tom and Astro looked at Roger significantly. Stand to! The three boys snapped to attention as the wide-shouldered captain addressed them again. Tomorrow, you begin to learn how to think as a single brain, to act with combined intelligence as one person. You either make up your minds to start tomorrow, or you report to Commander Walters and resign. There isn't any room here for individuals. He stepped to the door and paused. One more thing. I've been given the job of making you over into spacemen. I'm your unit commander. If you're still here in the morning, I'll accept that as your answer. If you think you can't take... He paused what I'm going to dish out, then you know what you can do. And if you stay, you'll be the best unit, or I'll break you in two in the attempt. Unit dismissed! And he was gone. The three cadets stood still, not knowing quite what to do or say. Finally, Tom stepped before Astro and Roger. Well, he said quietly, how about it, you guys? Are you going to lay off each other now? Astro flushed, but Roger eyed Corbett coolly. Where are you really taking in with that space gas, Tom? He turned to the shower room. If you were, then you're more childish than I thought. A man died to save another man's life, Roger. Sam Jones. I never knew him, but I've met Captain Strong, and I believe that he would have done the same thing for Jones. Very noble, commented Roger from the doorway. But I'll tell you this, Manning said Tom, following him, fighting for self-control. I wouldn't want to have to depend on you to save my life, and I wouldn't want to be faced with a situation where I would have to sacrifice mine to save yours. Roger turned and glared at Tom. The Academy regs say that the man on the control deck is the boss of the unit, but I have my private opinion of the man who has that job now. What is that supposed to mean? asked Tom. Just this, space boy. There's a gym below where I'll take you or your big friend on, together, or one at a time. He paused, a cold smile twisting his lips. And that offer is good as of right now. Tom and Astro looked at each other. I'm afraid, began Astro slowly, that you wouldn't stand much of a chance with me, Manning. So if Tom wants the chore of buttoning your lip, he's welcome to it. Thanks, Astro said Tom evenly. It'll be my pleasure. Without another word, 
the three cadets walked out of the door. I hope you enjoyed Stand By for Mars Chapter 3 and 4 by Carrie Rockwell. When we return for the next episode, we'll hear a short story called Spaceman's Luck, written by George O. Smith. I can't wait. The Gentleman Spaceman's Atomic Hideout was written, produced, edited, and performed by Brad Grahowski. Dirk Danger Gentleman Spaceman, The Doomsday Robot, was written by Brad Grahowski and Liam Mackin. For more information about Gentleman Spaceman's Atomic Hideout, visit thevoiceofbrad.com spaceman. If you are enjoying Gentleman Spaceman's Atomic Hideout, please subscribe and consider leaving a review wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. Thank you and journey well among the stars.